Hello and welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I am the other single of your host, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that only lasted one season. It's very important. They were not a limited series that were meant to be one season. These shows were canceled. Yes, and now we are here. We are doing the Samba on their graves. Uh, It's a nice, earthy, soily day that we are recording and we are happy to be talking about what they were, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. Today we're watching High Fidelity from Hulu, starring Zoe Kravitz from the year of your Lord 2020. But first, we'll talk about some other shows. John, have you been uh, watching anything recently that is not one and done or a movie or what are you watching? What are you watching? I've got one thing that I hope to gosh, we we're not talking about in a couple years or months or whatever severance on Apple. Really? Do you know this? I literally don't watch anything on Apple. Apple has one great thing every three months. And I am firmly, it is, it has firmly committed to that timeline in the two, nearly two years that I've had it. It is a show. Do you know anything about the plot of it? I have. Uh, maybe I've heard of it. I don't know. Is it the one with uh, Sam Neill? No, it is not. So okay. before you keep guessing. Matt worked on the one with Sam Neill. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. But it's not Severance. Severance is a high concept kind of workplace satire starring Adam Scott. You know, I love Adam Scott. Oh, I do want to watch that one. Yeah. It's directed by Ben Stiller about people that have chips implanted in their brain that they can't remember everything that happened outside of work when they're in work. And they don't know anything about what happens in work when they're outside of work. So they have these basically split personalities and it is kind of funny, mostly just riveting though. I am thoroughly enjoying watching the show. Adam Scott is in so much. I mean, he's done so many movies and TV shows. It's kind of amazing that he's not 60 years old already because I really could have sworn he was. But but if you looked at his IMDb, you'd think he was. I mean, he's got the career of a 60 year old. He's got the face of a 40 year old and has for the last 20 years. That's right. Yeah, he did look kind of old even when he was young. But he's just the best. I love Adam Scott. Yeah, he, no, he I'll, can do I'll no watch, wrong, and it's such and a good role for him. One day we'll watch his uh, one and done with, oh my gosh, what's it called? Ghosted with Craig oh. Robinson. Yeah, that I didn't even. That was one of those shows that I didn't realize was one and done until I was looking up shows for this show, and then I was oh. like, I thought, I thought, oh, I just gave up on it. I, thought I was they, acutely I thought it, aware that it was one and done because I was really looking forward to it. And then like two episodes came out the rate. I don't know if it was like getting bad reviews. I think it was getting bad reviews. And then I was like, oh, I guess I don't need to watch it. And it was gone immediately. It came just as swiftly as it went. 
Yeah, it was one of those things like they advertised it pretty heavily. And then two years later, I was like, what happened to that? Yeah. It was one and done, John. That's what happened to that. What are Um, you watching? I am watching season two of Righteous Gemstones right now. And I just I just love the way that they do storytelling. Like, did you watch like have you seen Eastbound and Down or Vice Principals? No, I have not. And no, I have not. Oh my Both god. No, that's oh not true. I watched most of Vice Principles and then I just kind of gave up on it. And then Really? Oh, I didn't dislike it. No, I didn't dislike it. I just did I mean, not. I just love that they planned Vice Principles as a movie and then turned it into an 18 episode show that they sold to HBO as like, yeah, we're just going to do two seasons of this and made it. Also, it turned Walton Goggins into a comedian, which is one of the great services they've done for the world. Did Walton Goggins do that episode of Community, though, before Vice uh, Principles? Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, he's okay in that. He's, But he's what? more of like, okay, wait, wait, wait. He is more doing his dramatic thing in that episode, where that's where the comedy is, that they have a dramatic person in there. It's not him being like, very goofy, very character actor, very flamboyant. It, like he gets a lot of that in Righteous Gemstones and in Vice Principles. I think he can do the big stuff. He can do the little stuff. He can do the medium stuff. He's got the he's got the eyes and forehead to really do anything. I think. I I, I agree. I just don't think he had much of a chance before that. Community, probably, he dipped his toe into comedy. But before that, who was letting him do comedy, you know? Uh, I think Justified Nobody, is pretty who. funny. Justified uh, is hilarious. The, I mean, it's up there, you know, all-time comedy. Oliphant. We got Seinfeld. Enough. We've got Office. We've got, you know, Timothy Oliphant and Cowboy Hats. I mean, anything with the cowboy hat, I think, is inherently a comedy. Oh, yeah. Like um, that uh, movie, The Big Country, where Burl Ives shoots his own son. Yeah. Or The Searchers, you know. What are they where searching John for? John Wayne's a What are they racist? searching for? <laughs> <laughs> I hate that movie, man. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. And it's like AFI, top Western ever. And it's like, it's got one of those horrible musical numbers in it. It's just not that interesting. They Did just, you want, wait, I don't, ugh. it has a musical number in it? Are, oh, are you, absolutely. Are you thinking of that or are you thinking of Blazing Saddles? No, there okay. is, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, have you, have you seen um, Sundance and, oh God, what the hell do you call no, him? You can do this. You, <sighs> okay. Ian, two of the most famous characters in movies. Billy the Kid. No. Oh man. No. Come uh, on. Come on. The Sundance Kid. There's right? one of them. Yeah. That's one of them. That's why it's Sundance Film Festival. There it is. And Paul Newman plays. I'm not gonna give it's this not, to you. It's not I'm gonna let Earp. you square. Come on. Oh man. I'm come gonna. On. We can move on and like. You know what? This is a load of podcast. BC. Gonna... This is a load of BC right here. British Columbia. Mm-hmm. What does British Columbia have to do with this? It's got the same initials as this person Man, you're I'm, not thinking of. I'm thinking Billy the Kid, and it's not. Kid does not start with the C. I know. That's why I know it's not him. 
BC. What could that be? What could that possibly mean? You know what that could mean? That it's showtime. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! While Ian thinks of uh, who Butch Cassidy is. Oh, Butch no. Cassidy. Butch Cassidy. How do you feel about that? I really think I never would have gotten it, actually. So while Ian stews in that, I'll tee up uh, the show that we're talking about today, 2020's High Fidelity, starring Zoe Kravitz, aired on Hulu, all of the episodes, in kind of a rare move now for Hulu, all of the episodes dropped on Valentine's Day. You know, February 2020, what a, what a great time to be alive that was. What, Ian, do you uh, remember who you were in February 2020? Oh, February 2020, I was broke. Uh, I was living in New York. My back hurt a lot. I was in some emotional turmoil, much like Zoe Kravitz in this show. It was it was New York pre-COVID, John. That will be looked upon as a golden era for me. Yeah, real. We didn't know how good we had it. Real ripe Ian Hamilton there. Yeah, you could get so drunk and just get on the subway and go home. All the bars were open so late, and it was magic, and it was sweaty, and it smelled terrible in the summertime, like wet cardboard, but God, it was good. Yeah, we had it good. But this is the tale of Rob, a record store owner, as she works through life, love, Friendships, guitars, musical snobbery, and... Ah, yeah, you got you hit it on the head there. That's what I was going to get to. Yeah. It is based on a few different things, uh, primarily a movie from the year 2000 starring John Cusack, uh, which in its of itself was based on a mid-90s novel from British novelist Nick Hornby, who also... British? Yeah. Is the novel... Does the novel take place in Britain? I read the novel. I think it does. Yes. I think it takes place in England. <laughs> England or the don't United a- Kingdom? Are we talking Wales? Don't at me could, while we Northern are podcasting. Ireland, don't at me while we are podcasting. At Northern Ireland? Um, <laughs> it was also then adapted into a Broadway musical, one of the shortest-lived Broadway musicals in Broadway history. It only ran for... I think 13 performances. Wow. Uh, But it did spur a cast album that I did listen to a lot. Well, okay. I listened to half of the songs a lot because I think half of the songs for the High Fidelity musical are fantastic. And most of them are terrible. Is it like the first act is great and the second act is terrible, like Into the Woods? It's pretty scattershot. And I will defend the second act of Into the Woods on another date. Just hate it. Everyone wants to get into it with me. And I'm so because, okay, the second act of Into the Woods is the whole point of Into the Woods, right? Yes. But I hate it. Okay. You hate you just want some frivolous little fairy tale instead of a deep indictment of what it means to be a parent and child. Yeah, I suppose so. I just think the baker's wife cheating on him comes pretty much out of nowhere. And then she dies. There are moments in the woods, Ian. They're just moments. What's a moment but a moment? It's a moment. Where's the moment? Yeah, and then that moment lasts forever because she's dead, John. There is one bad moment in Into the Woods, and it's the line, 
wishes our children. Everything else. <laughs> uh, I think the real tragedy is that in the the musical, the wolf, the big bad wolf, has like a huge, fluffy penis. But in the Disney movie version, they did not include that for some reason. You know who doesn't have a big fluffy penis? Rob in High Fidelity. Rob is traditionally in the previous iterations of High Fidelity is a character mostly played by white men. For this adaptation, they brilliantly cast uh, Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz, to me, is the epitome of cool. She is a vibe. And she can do whatever she wants. She's got this laid back look. She can wear male sweater vests with the best of them. You know, she's got great hair, although she cut it off for Batman, but she's got great hair. She can just do whatever she wants. She could wear a tuxedo. She could wear a dress. She could wear a yellow jumpsuit. She could just, she would just look natural in any outfit, really. You know, you'd be like, yep, that's that's exactly what you should be wearing today. What Whatever it is, it's going to be loud. It's going to be what the kids are calling a Luke, L-E-W-K. <laughs> but she's going to wear the hell out of it. A Luke? Like a Luke Wilson? No, a Luke. Like a look. Like, a, like another Luke that I can't think of? Okay, are you familiar with the Gen Z term T? No, I know what a Luke is. I know what a look is. Okay, well, do you know what tea is? Yes. As in spilling the? Yes. Okay, I only just learned that, and everyone was mad at me for not knowing it. They should. I was they hoping to dunk you. on you, but now I've dunked on myself. Uh. Um, Have you, so she's the main star, but the co-creators of this adaptation of the show are Sarah... Kucherka. I'm going to go Kucherka. Yeah. Yeah. C-S-U-C-S-E-R. Are you reading it and not well, spelling no, it rightly? I'm doing the cha part. I'm just yeah. emphasizing why I think it's cha. Veronica West, who appear to be a writing team of sorts. They worked on the show Bull, Chicago Fire, State of Affairs, Something called Brothers and Sisters. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of stuff I'm not really impressed by. They seem to just be journey woman writers. Ugly Betty. Okay. They They have a lot of Ugly Betty in 2009. They have a lot of single episode credits. Makes me think that they've been a part of a writing team or like a writer's room. Sorry. You know, it's weird. It's a lot of like four, like three to six episodes on a show, which makes me think they just, they worked on like a season of a show, moved on to another season of a different show, and they just bounced around until they finally got a shot to adapt this, which I I don't know if they're friends with Zoe Kravitz or if they just... Or maybe they're just talented writers and, you know... A property like this tends to get passed around, like... We'll talk about that with our Why the Last Man episode, right? They tried to adapt that a billion times, and it didn't work. So when you have something like High Fidelity, which already has been a movie, it comes out of being a book, it was turned into a musical, somebody owns the rights, and they're just like, we're going to lose the rights in five years if we don't make something out of this. Somebody somebody makes something called High Fidelity about a musical, about a, about a music shop. Well, and this show was... My understanding is it was 
starting to be developed by Disney in 2018. And then Disney bought Hulu or took like a majority stake in Hulu, ended up right after the Fox purchase. After the Fox purchase, then High Fidelity in 2019 went to Hulu, which makes the most sense because from just a streaming perspective, you know, Disney owns Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN Plus. Sports is ESPN Plus. Family stuff is Disney Plus. Hulu has kind of made its thing of all the Fox properties, all the adults. X Adult stuff. So high That's fidelity. interesting because I don't think about it inherently like that. But now that I think of like what I actually watch on Hulu, you're right. I mean, it's all like, I don't know, like Family Guy. or I remember a lot of Adult Swim cartoons used to be on there or... Uh, Frasier, which is so adult, you know, because kids can't understand their vocabulary. But I think that's a good point. And my understanding was that, like, the people at Hulu really championed this show. Is that correct? It seemed like it. Yeah, they it was a show that Disney kind of passed on. And when Hulu was, you know, establishing itself and Hulu had done a bunch of originals before then and some pretty successful ones, you know. Casual lasted for four seasons. Future Man lasted for three seasons. Oh, you seasons. loved Casual. I really did love Casual. Um, I, I I think I stopped watching after season two. I I don't know. I we're not talking. We're not talking about Casual. We're talking about you high brought it up. Fidelity. I'm talking about You're it in the context. only person that would ever bring up Casual, John. That is because my because it's a gem. Michaela Watkins, the other guy. There is so much to love there. The other guy who's in one episode of It's Always Sunny, and then he's in Casual for some reason. Let's go back to High Fidelity. So this is obviously, it does not belong on Disney+, Plus because there is a very tasteful amount of nudity in it. I think it's just just enough. Just uh, it's, it's like, uh, it's not trying to be oversexed, but it's also like, hey, this is how it is. There is also a general griminess to the show, but like a a tasteful griminess, a polished griminess throughout the show. I think a tasteful griminess. It is not like I don't want any grime on my plate, John, if I go to a restaurant. Okay. I'm sending it back. It's dirty. It's not dirty. It's sweaty. It's a sweaty show. Oh, well, New York is a sweaty city, so that makes sense. There we go. Would you say New York is the sixth character, John? I would say New York is always a main character. So we've got Rob, who is the record store owner, very self-destructive character, which is usually a very difficult trope for me. The self-destructive character that blows up their lives and the lives of everyone around them. But I think the way they characterize Rob in this show really works because Rob, and this is me comparing to the other adaptations, which I have seen and and read and you have not. Rob is, as I said, usually played by kind of an angry white guy that always thinks that he's the good guy, but is just kind of a bastard to everyone around him. What Zoe Kravitz and this writing team bring to Rob is more of a, a sadness, which mm-hmm. I think really works for that. So so it doesn't excuse Rob's behavior throughout the show, but what it does is it underpins it without that sense of entitlement. And I think that makes 
Rob much more palatable as a character. Yeah, I mean, in general, as a character, she is just an emotional wreck. She doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't really know how to love people. She doesn't really know know how to let them love her. She wants people. She pushes them away. She runs back after them after she's hurt them. They push and pull. The show is like about dating as much as it's about music. And I think the most interesting thing about it to me was that pretty much every character had an arc of like nobody broke up and then was just like oh we're broken up and it's over like every character that she broke up with came back to her or she went back to them and even the even Simon who uh works at the record store and is her, her ex-boyfriend but also he kind of discovers slash comes out of the closet while they're dating and now they're just friends. Uh, even he goes back and forth with somebody. And these these relationships, are there's nothing in stone about any of this. You know what I mean? And that really rung true to me. Because that's, I mean, that's what my 20s were like anyway. Yeah, there is a, a fluidity to it. And there's a lot of mistakes being made. Nothing too unforgivable, though. Yeah. That is a comfort, I think. And there's there's some tough stuff. There's one thing that could be pretty unforgivable, but I'll bring that up later. Yeah, well, we can talk about all the many mistakes later. But Zoe or Rob <laughs> works with Simon and Sharice, uh, played by Divine Joy Randolph, who was a Tony nominee for another movie really? adaptation. Do you know what that was? I'm going to guess Into the Heights. In the Heights. Damn it. Is it In the and Heights? No. Ghost. Ghost what? the musical. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I did a reverse. I thought it was uh, yeah, you did. musical. I see, I see what you did there. It. Okay, yeah. Yeah. She played the Whoopi Goldberg part in Ghost. Oh, my God. And got nominated for a Tony for that. If there's a character I'd like to see her play of a movie turned into a play, I'd want it to be Misery, and she plays the Kathy Bates part. Oh, she'd be good at that. She... Knows how to tear it up. She is funny because she's like the Jack Black character in in this, which it's like, you know, boisterous, loud, chubby, best friend character type. She comes in blasting, come on Eileen, Mm -hmm. in her first 30 seconds on screen. In quite a red jumpsuit as well. It's like a red and gold jumpsuit, I believe. And she's got sunglasses on she's always got a different look in every episode she has quite the fashion sense yeah like she overplays it whereas opposed to rob who kind of likes to under she's an underplayed hipster yes rob is a hipster that truly doesn't they're, they're care hipsters. sharice is a is a hipster that cares very much and Simon is played by an actor, David H. Holmes. I didn't see much from him before. He has some kind of tall, curly hair, you know, just a kind of dweeby, quiet man. Yeah, he's one of those. He's like a he's a genuinely I don't care hipster. Like he has no ambition, really. He's just kind of working at his friend's record store 
and doesn't have much an agenda. Like sh- one of uh, Sherry, one of Sharice's big character arcs is that she wants to make music or she keeps talking about making music and how she's an artist and they rag on her about, you know, oh, but you never play anything. She's like, yes, I will. And I'm just waiting. Whereas, and Zoe is looking for, now I did it. Rob is looking for love. (laughs) But Simon truly seems to be waiting in the water, just kind of going with the flow and doesn't seem to want much. Although we do get into his love life. But other than that. Yeah. He's a, he wanted to make satellites. He wanted to be an engineer. And then he just dropped out of that and was like, well, I love music. This is what I'm going to do. He made his, his passion, his career, and he doesn't let his job define him. So that's the, the record store. But most of the rest of the cast is populated by Rob's extended connections. We've got that's her brother. Her well, I was gonna start with her brother. Are they ornaments on her tree of exes? They could be, but I was gonna start with her brother. Not the brother, gonna... not the sister-in-law. I understand. This isn't bored to death where season three ends with him dating his sister. Okay, so there's uh her brother Cameron, who is uh pretty much an ultra hipster, really. Like he is he wears a hipster hat, he's got a hipster chain. He wears a hipster shirt and a hipster vest. And he is just, he's kind of a boutique hipster. Like he is very aware of what he is wearing. It's underplayed, but expensive. Uh, and then his wife has more of a hipstery style like Rob, where it's like, oh, she's, well, she's pregnant. So she's just wearing a lot of like flowy, older You're You're dresses. defining a lot of these characters by their wardrobes there are so many different types of hipsters in this show john and as a hipster i hate them all i know what kind of hipster you are what kind of hipster do you think you are when you're comparing okay rob you've got rob sharice simon cameron what kind of hipster are you compared to them yes of the four um honestly unfortunately it's probably rob because emotionally i'm closer to rob unfortunately and it's like oh i don't care what i look like slash i do care what i look like but sometimes i'm too much of a wreck to care what i look like Mm -hmm. does that ring true or do you think i'm simon i think you're simon no he wears all these band t-shirts and he truly doesn't care so i am not simon to be fair of the last few times i've seen you i think you've been wearing the same white t-shirt to our recording sessions. This is actually a pretty expensive shirt that was a gift that looks like a plain shirt, but no, because all my undershirts are V-necks. So I would oh. never buy myself a shirt with a regular collar like this, but it's really nice quality, actually. And I only I have like five of them because they were hand-me-downs, but damn, they're good shirts. I'd say the brand, but I don't I just like I don't care about labels. Except you, you need the you need the Rob label. No, see, I like that I look good, but I also don't know the brand. So that's how you care and don't care. Also, it's comfortable. I'm learning a lot about you. This episode. Yeah, uh, we also have Mac, who is her ex fiance, which is very important because we start with them breaking up, and in the first episode, we fast forward a year and. 
Mac has returned from London and as it turns out is engaged or engaged to be engaged to another woman. And he runs into Rob on the street right before her date with nice guy Clyde, played by Jake Lacey, who is second build somehow, even though he's in episode one and then doesn't come back till episode five. A fundamentally insane casting breakdown choice. Yes, I get he was in The Office. Yes, I get he was in Obvious Child, which... He was in Girls, too, John. He was in Girls. Season two. he does not exist for most of this show, and yet he is second build. Yeah, I I really think it's just he is probably the second biggest name somehow of this cast. And yet, Mac is played by Kingsley Benadire, who should have been nominated for an Oscar in 2020 for playing Malcolm X in One Night in Miami. Right. I never it's amazing saw in that it, show. I have heard it's very good in that movie. Yes. Oh, because he... wait, was it a was it a play first? It used to be a play. He wasn't in the play though. I don't oh, think. okay. But he was in the movie, and he is. Uh, he was also in the show Love Life with Anna Kendrick. Is that HBO? That is HBO. Baby. Oh, right, because they're doing it's not TV. That's an anthology series, right? First yes. season's Anna Kendrick. Second season is the guy from The Good Place. My boy, William Jackson Harper. Yeah. Oh, God, don't get John started on The Good Place. Please, God, don't get John started on The Good Place. You love The Good Place. This is John moving on from The Good Place. Wow. Any main characters we missed so far? I think that's all of them. Nah. Well, John, there is so, so, so much more to talk about uh, this show, and we will. But first, let's take a quick commercial break. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us, oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. We start with Mac and Rob breaking up. Fast forward the year. Uh, you know, Clyde is, do you think, okay, do you think Clyde's a nice guy? I think Clyde is a nice guy until episode seven when he decks this guy and punches him as hard as I've ever seen anyone punched and there are no repercussions for it. So that's the only thing about Clyde that I genuinely do not like. Otherwise, he seems to be very attentive to her, to to Rob. He seems to be very accommodating and understanding of her emotional ups and downs. And he seems to genuinely enjoy her presence. And I do think he is a nice guy until he punches that guy so hard. Ian's just bitter because Ian is the guy that Clyde punched. And you know what? My, my septum will never be the same. No, you. we have to cut out all your wheezing, too, in the post. <sighs> We're going to leave that one in, uh, just so the listeners know what I have to deal with right now. Does someone with a deviated septum wheeze a lot? Or, I, or, or am I actually wheezing a lot? That is, you're not wheezing at all. Oh, good. You, you do a great job of hiding it. I don't know enough about deviated septums to make that judgment. All right, then move on to the plot. So 
this prompts Rob to come up with her uh, top five all-time breakups in chronological order. Those would be Kevin Bannister, Kat Monroe, Simon Miller, or Simon, Justin Kitt, and Russell McCormick, Mac. It's a much bigger part of the movie and the book, this sort of framing of the, the five X's that define Rob's life. It's pretty tossed away for most of the show, though. I feel like it, it really dominates episodes one through three, I think, because episode one, we find out who her top five are. Mm-hmm. And then episode two, she kind of decides that she needs to reconnect with them. And episode... That's episode four. What happens in episode hap- two? Episode two is, uh, so Rob has had her date with Clyde, uh, but you know then Clyde gets tossed aside for a bit. So episode two is- We meet Liam. I know that We meet much. Liam. Yes. Liam uh, hot is- Scottish rocker. Yeah. Don't we all want to be a hot Scottish rocker? Uh, yeah, with his, he has like a cute Scottish accent. I don't want like a gruff. There, there are some Scottish accents I don't want. Yeah. You no don't, offense you to don't. our Scottish listener, listeners. We know you're out there. And got, I've offended we, you. We know we've got one that we'll at least hear from. That's right. Go <laughs> cry about it, Liam. <laughs> different Liam different different Scottish Liam oh yeah that's right I yes yeah I thought of that Uh, anyway so Rob meets Liam at a concert uh but she's also still very hung up on Mac uh makes him a playlist that she ultimately drunkenly sends to him uh and that's when she uh you know she feels like she's started to kindle things with Liam she feels like, oh, yeah, I can be friends with Mac. And then the bomb drops that Mac is now dating Lily. Dun, dun, That's dun. right. That's right. Uh, her brother spills the beans at a brunch because her brother is friends with Mac, too. And that's how they met. Yes. Now, did and they meet at a party of his or did he get them together? Uh, they met at, like, a mutual thing. They show right. it briefly in the first episode. It's just like, hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Rob. Blah, 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 blah. That's the making out. Oh, yeah. And then I guess we should say in the first episode, too, it starts with this conversation that she's like, remember, remember that time at The Rock when we said we'd remind each other when we were on the uh, the wrong side of The Rock? And then he's like, I remember, Rob, but I just can't remember what it felt like. And then he walks away. Dun, dun, dun. How was that as far as like his type of English accent? Was that okay? Pretty good. Nice and posh. Yeah. All right, good. I'll get that. Um, so Rob starts to, you know, obsess over Mac. Uh, and it's it's a tough place to be in. I don't really know much about episode three, but you know, I just episode remember f- the ending of it. She goes, What effing Lily? She finds out about Lily does her move, which is leave the restaurant she's at without paying and just leaving whoever she's with and not telling them. And then she's like, what effing Lily? And then the next episode starts right where that left off. Mm -hmm. And 
as Rob kind of obsesses over Mac, that's when she's like, okay, now I need to confront my, my five exes about why our relationship ended. So she finds out that Kevin Bannister, her first crush, is who that story is. She dated him for six hours, uh, two hours after school for three days in a row where they made out. And then on the fourth day, he was with another girl. But then she finds out that he ended up, Kevin Bannister, ended up marrying that girl. And I love how she founds that out because she gets out her, like, middle school yearbook, finds his phone number in there, I guess, calls his childhood house, his mom answers, and is very offended to hear that he had a girlfriend before his now wife for some reason. She's like, no, she was his very first girlfriend, and that's that. And I'm like, all right, ease up, lady. Like, it's fine. <laughs> it's time to. We don't need to she's protect. She's defending the war. her son's integrity. It is being questioned. Someone has to. Yes. Ian, do you know what has happened with your first kiss? Do you? Uh, I mean, I. Uh, yeah, she's married, and I believe she lives in North Carolina now. One of the Carolinas. Oh, nice. What about yours? Truly, no idea. Yeah, uh, last I saw, she was in New York, and that was like six years ago, so I have no idea. Yeah, it's the tough thing about being off Facebook. She just, yeah. well, And not by choice. I am not not on Facebook by No, choice. no, she's not on, on Facebook because she's a, a theater person, so I would, you know, I kept in touch with her for a bit, and then it was just like, bam, off the map. Yeah, well, I wish... You know, do you ever best. think about how you kissed her in a gazebo and then you uh, proposed gotten... to my wife in a gazebo? Yes, constantly. And did you do that because you were really thinking of <laughs> the whole time? Uh, Elise, if you're listening to this, just know Ian's got me. Ian's got he, me. He's got me pegged. He's yeah. he's staring into my soul <laughs> right now. He knows. He knows everything. Talk about episode four. And so she's like, hey, I could talk to all my exes. So then she meets up with Kat Monroe, who turns who's turned into this like weird artsy influencer who Well, like, she's become an influencer, but Rob is like, Oh, she's always talked like this. She's always been this way. She gives you all her attention and says all these words and then immediately moves on. Yeah. There's something magnetic about Kat and the the show does a really good job at understanding even some of the more like insufferable people. You get a sense at why people like them mm-hmm. in general and why people gravitate towards them. Like Kat's a great talker, knows how to command a room. Uh, yeah, very vapid and talks a lot of, speaks in a lot of empty philosophies, but still just a kinetic presence. And so when Rob can kind of see through that, Moves on. Simon, she's moved on from one of her best friends. Justin Kitt was dating somebody else when they were together. And then they uh, broke up when they got caught. mm -hmm. And then the relationship kind of fizzled and she just kind of feels bad for Justin. And she gets over that because he was like, she meets up with him at a bar after his stand up set, which is so New York, you know, stand up. Um, and she is talking to him about his life and he's like, man, I was a wreck after you 
broke up with me. And she's like, oh, my God, I broke up with him. I forgot. And that, like, uh, satisfies her. And we move on. So the rest of the season kind of plays out in a bit of a blur. There's a great bottle episode, kind of bottle-ish episode with Parker Posey, where Rob is trying to buy uh, a huge record collection from this woman who is just trying to piss off her husband. Ex-husband. Ex-husband. And that's just a really, there isn't a lot of just like straight comedy, but Parker Posey is swinging for the friggin' fences in her Parker like, one Posey is funny and good in literally everything she's in. And I wish she would do. I wish she was in more. I just, I wish she had a TV show starring her. I could watch every mm-hmm. week. I love her so much. And also uh, this episode is the return of nice guy, Clyde, who we haven't mm-hmm. seen since episode one. Clyde helps her make the decision about whether she should keep the record collection or not. And then Liam comes back too. that kind of creates a nice like love triangle with her and Clyde, her Clyde and Liam. But ultimately Clyde is the one that's going to stick around. I know, but she goes to see Liam at my old, uh, I used to work at Brooklyn steel as a stagehand, and that's where he plays. And they're watching him play from the side. And I'm like, I used to watch people play from that side. Ian sheds a single tear. I do. I miss my I miss my momos. Yeah. And then Cameron has a big like last hurrah party that Mac gets invited to because Cameron and Mac are best friends. And there's this whole jealousy thing with Mac brings Lily. So Rob invites Clyde. They all ended kind of hitting it off, which is nice. But then Cameron gets like way too drunk. And there isn't a lot of character development for Cameron throughout the season, but his storyline does have one of my favorite moments in the show, which is when he and his wife, he's like wasted. Oh, Cameron. I'm sorry. The brother. Yeah. I realized that there's Mac and Cam and that confused me a bit. Oh, I guess they are reverses of each other. That's fun. So Cameron is with his, you know, partner and she's like, what are you doing, man? You're too old for this. He's like, I know. I just wanted to be cool. And she's like, we're still going to be cool. Like, give it, give yourself a break. We're like, we can still be cool and be parents. And it's a really nice. It's nice because you think she's going to like be mad and lecture him. But she's like, no, as soon as I have the baby, I'm going to get so hammered. And then we're going to have to grow up a bit. Mm -hmm. It's a nice, mm -hmm. it's a nice turn. It's there's a, there's a constant sort of subverting expectations of what characters are going to do while still making it feel real mm-hmm. and earned throughout the show. Um, Rob herself has a, has a birthday too, where she turns 30, doesn't tell anybody she's turning 30 and ends up going out with two people. She has not seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Nice guy. Clyde meets up or calls her is like, Hey, Let's hang out. And she's like, it's my birthday. And he's like, oh, my God, we'll hang out on your birthday. And she's like, OK, I'll call you soon. And then she ends up, ends up getting wasted and hanging out with Mac instead. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, kind of leaves Clyde and Clyde in the dust. Mac and her have a bit of a moment to, you know, they oh, kiss. They no. kiss. But she reveals that she cheated on him the night they got engaged. Yes. So Rob is a bit of a bastard. And that leads to some big sort of confrontational moments. You know, uh, Cameron is like, why would you 
cheat on him and why would you not tell me about this and so Cameron right because Rob. Cameron and Mac are friends so he's like I didn't talk to my friend for a year because I thought he was a jerk but it turns out you're a jerk and mm-hmm. but really everyone's a jerk in this I, show a little bit I, I don't know if that I mean what how's Simon a jerk Simon ooh, good point yeah okay Boom, I'm gonna think of gotcha. some bad quality you know what Simon probably doesn't tip well wow He's he probably that hipster. Doesn't. Well, I don't you know he, what? He I don't think he tips very well. He does not. He clearly does not have a lot of money, except for the apartment he lives in, which he obviously would not be able to afford from working at a record store all the time. But, but he shares it with three other guys. Yeah, but John, you you saw my apartment in Bushwick that I shared with four other people, and that a, a record store employee could not afford to live there, and that was not one-fifth as nice as the apartment he lived in. It was a well-furnished space. It was that they used, a warehouse that they used converted well. into lofts that was completely illegal. But, you know, oh, you're, ta- you're talking about your space. I was oh, talking yeah. about Simon's space. It was a good thing. Also, Sharice is, she, I don't know, her emotional life gets in the way of her maybe being nicer, but I wouldn't say she does anything that's really that bad. I I do appreciate that she evolves uh, to a certain point where her and Rob start butting heads. Honestly, I don't quite know why in the second half of the season they're butting heads so much other than Sharice secretly has a second job at night and is showing up like a little bit late to work, but she's trying to save up for a guitar that she wants and Rob had no idea. And I think maybe it's just like Rob is so self-involved that she has not been paying attention to Sharice. And that is maybe where the disconnect is. But I think that Sharice doesn't feel seen right. in general. That's a big thing of her arc. You know, she ends up being a part of this, you know, little band of made up from these two kids that tried to steal from the record store partway through the season and she's been having this tough time there's this really heartbreaking scene where Sharice kind of puts herself out there on this sort of uh, long explanation of who she wants to be as a singer like she's Bowie meets this meets that and it's a big long explanation and somebody looks at the the thing the posting that's on the record store bulletin board like kind of is intrigued by it she sees them be intrigued by it the guy goes up and he's like hey who's Sharice and uh Simon's like oh that's her the guy looks at Sharice and just walks out the door and I think that that drives a lot of Sharice's motivation yeah that's a solid rejection moment there's no misinterpreting that and so Sharice feels the need to be loud which can then be grating on Rob who is a very quiet and doesn't necessarily need to be around that energy all the time so I think that creates that friction but generally the thing that the show does really well is the three of them Simon Rob and Sharice all genuinely seem like friends like they get annoyed with each other they bump heads they but they have such a love for what they love and which in turn kind of makes them love each other uh there's this one line that simon has in the first episode which is the things you like are more important than the things you are like 
And I think they all believe that. I mean, I don't believe that at all. I don't either. But they all do. And Mm -hmm. that makes their friendship work. Because they know how to talk about music. They know how to talk to each other in a way that, you know, feels real. It's almost like hipsters are obsessed with the aesthetic. Something like that. But they love the sound of vinyl, too. And then around this time, we also see the flashback to Robin Cameron at The Rock, where another couple is fighting. And they're like, let's never be on that side of the rock. And if we ever find ourselves on that side of the rock, we'll remember this moment and we'll remind each other. And that's like, I don't know, kind of a theme throughout. It comes up a couple times. It's a Mm -hmm. little lame, but it's also a little nice. I, I don't know. It makes sense. Yeah, it, it does make sense. They do they do it well. Face value it wouldn't be, but they do it well. Overall, I like the story structure of the season. There's a lot of uh, flashbacks and interesting ways of, of telling the story. Like there's one kind of Rashomani episode where Rob goes off on her own, and then the next episode... Uh, we see where Simon was while Rob was out and it's a whole Simon episode and his top five heartbreaks of all time are all the same man. And I really like that episode because it really explains Rob's uh, point of view and his complacency kind of. And Simon's? Oh, God. It really explains Simon's point of view and complacency and... Hangups, maybe because it, it explains that he is very um, self-conscious. He's very jealous. He is very insecure when it comes to relationships. And the one man rejects him over and over again. And ultimately it breaks down because he was a high what do you call it? A high powered lawyer who was embarrassed by Simon's lack of ambition. And uh, that is so New York to me. And that's why they, they broke up. But I think that is, how does the show end, John? Do you remember? The show ends with a great throwback to the movie where Rob is trying to realizes that Max doing his own thing. He's going to be with the Lily gets some closure there, realizes that she wants to be with Clyde. Clyde feels scorned, though, and he's like, I don't think I need this in my life. And so Rob says, like, please, like, let's try to get make this work. He's like, no, no, no. She's like, well, what's the chance that we will get together? And he's like, nine. 9% chance. Which kind of gives Rob some hope. And so it ends up, it's a pretty, like, cynical show in general, but it it's hopeful at the end. Mm-hmm. And it was it was nice to see the sort of lift. Yeah, I mean into... it, it kind of delivers on some of its promises. You know, like it uh like Sharice is finally singing and making music and that's very nice. Simon is finally with this guy that he's kind of been holding off on asking out for the first like 6 or 7 episodes. That's the first 8, I guess. And then uh you know, Rob is in right has a chance at love with nice guy Clyde uh the baby's born I don't know if I said that and Mac gets what he gets back together with his with his fiance he, he never broke up with 
her, but no, but they, they're they like just, they just share a nice moment, right? They patch things up, seemingly, Quick and kiss on the forehead. that is how the season and the series ends. So much. I know. And we can talk all about that after this quick commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Welcome to the Dunzo Awards. These are superlatives that we are giving out to every show that we see. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the most, it could be the least, the weirdest, whatever it is. These are the things that we think need awards for this show. These are important. Very important. Please. Very, very important stuff. Good or bad. We do the we do the Oscars or the Razzies. We don't no in between. We don't trust the Razzies. The Razzies are mean, we are not. We are just observers who are trying to make sense of this thing that's been put in front of us. Okay. Uh I will give my first Dunzo, which is Best Rob. And that wow. would be So that's throughout the Robiverse, right? That would be Book, through the we are musical. into the Robiverse. We are across the Robiverse <laughs> part one. Uh we have landed on Zoe Kravitz, who is the best Rob. I talked about it a little bit in the intro, but you know, Rob's and other versions are generally interesting, but Zoe Kravitz's Rob is the most complete and interesting self-destructive narcissist that I can think of seeing on a TV show. I don't and think she's a narcissist necessarily. She though. is self-absorbed. Sorry. Yes. Narcissist is a little. Maybe the you're other right, ones. Right. Do you think the other ones are more narcissistic? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I do. Um, they tend to have just this air of entitlement about them, but Rob, Rob knows who she is. She's comfortable with who she is. And, but she does care about how she impacts other people and she's not defensive about it. It, it hangs on her. Every bad decision she makes hangs on her in a way that feels believable and relatable and compelling just in general. So I give not to John Cusack, not to Will Chase, not to person in novel. I will give it to Zoe Kravitz. Uh, that's my first Dunzo. Ian, what's your first Dunzo? I'm going to give a proper award Dunzo, and that is going to be Best Guest Actress, which, of course, you know her, you love her, Posey Parker. Parker Posey! Ian, you are terrible with names tonight. Oh, my God. Terrible. I- I had a massage yesterday, and I went to physical therapy today, and I'm tired, all right? And then your wife hit you in the back of the head with a, head with a wrench, you know? I, see, you- I don't remember that. I just, I have the scars <laughs> to prove it, but I don't remember that happening. <laughs> she showed me photos. It was, it was, a, good, it was a good swing. Uh, Parker Posey is funny in everything she does. She is so talented. She is a presence on screen no matter what she does. She can sing. She does comedy. She does drama. Parker Posey and Holly Hunter, two actresses I could just watch forever. I love them both so much. 
you know. Who also, throw they're both in. alliterative names, which is kind of why I brought up Holly Hunter. You know who I throw in there too? Who? Merritt Weaver. That's not alliterative. I know, but I just like seeing her in everything. Who's Merritt Weaver? Uh, she was in that show, uh, Unbelievable, uh, with Tony. Collette. What is unbelievable? <laughs> it's not a Jeopardy question. It's a show. Sorry. Uh, where is unbelievable? <laughs> Glad we got the the subject. No, right. seriously, I do not know what unbelievable is. Uh, I don't want to get into unbelievable right now. What I want to get into is the fact that Parker Posey brings like some of the truest comedy to this show. There mm-hmm. is, there's a lot of laughs, I think, throughout the show. I think that Parker Posey just delivers just bombs when she is on screen. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's funny because she also, you know, she's got the sort of goofy aesthetic of, like, she's a visual artist. They walk through her house and everything is kind of, like, strange and funny. And the funniest one is she has hair on a window and she looks into it and it's her bangs yeah from you know whenever she had them she goes my Uh, greatest what my the my greatest hurt or something like that my biggest mistake mm -hmm. i don't know but she put her bangs on display as an art piece it's like ceiling to floor glass that she yes that has the bangs oh and uh but then it's also under the uh situation of her ex-husband cheated on her she is absolutely heartbroken she's trying to give him back get him back by giving away his precious record collection for only twenty dollars and you know she just rides the line of being heartbroken and also hilarious so well my god why doesn't she work more i'm sure she works plenty but like why doesn't she work more in things i see yeah we need to get Ian some glasses, and we need to put Parker Posey in those glasses. The, oh, you're saying they're on the inside of my glasses. No, she's yeah. on the inside of my glasses, so that no matter where I'm looking, she's you're always looking in at frame. Parker Posey. Yes. Okay, and then could we get like an earpiece in too, with like maybe just audio? Actually, so we'll get an AI mm-hmm. to get all of her. Uh, lines all the audio from everything she's ever done and the ai will simulate me hanging out with parker posey via chopping up every word and syllable she makes so that it's like i'm seeing her and hanging out with her constantly Mm -hmm. every little boy's dream i would love for her to just constantly be saying teacher's pet i want to be teacher's pet is but not that, the rest of uh, that Waiting for Guffman? Yes, it is, sir. Okay, nice. Penny for your thoughts. <laughs> All right, get I could, your done. I get could sing, your second done's out. I could sing like three seconds of every song in Waiting for Guffman. Wait a minute. Did me and you see the Waiting for Guffman musical together at I.O.? At I.O., yeah. Yeah, where they did the actual play of Waiting for Guffman. Red, White, and Blaine. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was fun. It was short, but it was fun. It was amazing. So my second Dunzo will go to, well, the category is best unmentioned character. A character that is not acknowledged throughout the show, but is a presence. And that will be go to 
woman across the street from Rob constantly smoking cigarettes. Oh, I loved her. Do you know you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, because she's just kind of a device for like Rob is sitting in her apartment, usually alone and sad, and she looks out the window and there's that woman smoking alone in her own apartment and she's older so you know you get the sense that it's like am i gonna be an old sad woman who's smoking alone in my apartment and it's Mm -hmm. a nice device without having to say anything yeah and uh, i love stuff like that we don't get an episode where it's like you know oh that's gladys she's been in that apartment for 45 years it's like no she just needs to be there smoking her cigarettes pushing her grocery carts across the street while smoking cigarettes still. She is a wonderful, uh, you know, image, a symbol of the future and what it could be. And I thought and what it was- she I, And like, do you get the sense that like she doesn't want that to be her, but also like she kind of wants that to be her? That's the thing I love about it is that right. she, it's, it's this kind of aspirational, but still scary- vision of the future that right it's it the is, phantom hanging over her head don't be like her but that would be cool to be like her yeah like she might be sad now but she probably lived a dope ass life yeah you get that and she's she's romanticizing the sad single new yorker in, in a sense mm-hmm. which we all want to be john that's a hell of a dunzo I, I don't you, know buddy. if you're gonna i i would I don't know. Whenever you top it, I'll let you know, but it's going to be tough. All right. It's going to be tough to top that, Dunzo. Please keep me posted. Uh, Meanwhile, why don't you get to your second underwhelming Dunzo that we will look back on and forget immediately? (laughs) (laughs) You put the pressure on me. You... You set me up so that you could not. I was trying to compliment down. you, and now you're throwing me under the bus, not just for this episode, but for episodes to come. Yeah, you set a, you set the bar for me. Good <laughs> that lord! You are then matching yourself against. Um. Okay. So my second Dunzo is worst forcing of aesthetic in a show that I can think of oh it's just too cool so are you giving first you're giving this this dunzo to the show overall i'm giving it to which is not the first time i've done it and not the first time you've been confused by that concept (laughs) uh and this is only our third episode so (laughs) (laughs) look i'm giving an award to the show it is a negative award and it is the fact that I just think it's very aware of how cool it is. And between the clothing, between the attitudes, between the city, which is, of course, the sixth character. Uh, and between the smoking and the sadness and the music and the shows they go to and all of their highfalutin, arrogant conversations about music, which... To me, the musical conversations, like a lot of the knowledge they had was just like really classic rock stuff that wasn't really as deep cut as I would expect music nerds to take it. Like I like their they had the passion of music nerds, but I honestly think that they had to dumb it down a little bit for people to be like, I know who David Bowie is. And only every once in a while did they get to talk about like the disco legend who 
was really androgynous and got on the radio and sort of pushed the envelope for LGBTQ people to be more invited into mainstream music. And they're, I don't know. So their conversations, like I understood them and I don't really know a lot about music outside of classic rock. And of course, Sufjan Stevens and Bill Callahan. Uh, and no judgment, Burl Ives. Uh, yes, I went through a Burl Ives phase, everybody. His non-Christmas music is great. I'm talking Galvisteo. I'm talking Little Bitty Tear. I'm talking Funny Way of Laughing. You folks know what I'm talking about. You're anyway, all on your, your level right now. Everyone yes. loves Big Country when Burl Ives shoots his own son at the end. It's very dramatic. Um, we all have such a clear image of everything that you're describing right now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. So it's just, it's kind of forced. The friendships seem a little forced at the beginning to me. Um, it takes probably five episodes for it all to really gel together with me. And maybe coincidentally, it's because that's the Parker Posey episode. But I just, I liked the second half of the series a lot more. It felt more grounded. It felt more honest. It felt like the, right, everything had gelled, which is like normal for a TV show, but it also felt like the relationships at that point had become a little less surface level and it got to the meat of things. And I just really appreciated that. Uh, but it it started off a little bit rough for me. I get that. I Okay, sorry. Let me clarify. I get some of what you're saying. We got sure. a lot to unpack here. The point about the first half of the season being not as good as the second half, fully agree. I think the big thing is that the first half of the season was trying to hit on a lot of things that other adaptations of high fidelity have there's so much sense because even even the top five x's that really is while writing wise i think that's a good i like how that story plays out it really is that's like the first four episodes it's top five heartbreaks of all time so i don't think it's as big as you think it is in your yeah because because episode four is when she goes back and she sees all of her exes and kind of yeah but they don't really bring that up in like episodes two and three though maybe it's not really a part of that i the big thing is that there's certain beats that they're trying to hit and they hit it and it the fan service is a little awkward in my eyes as a fan of the other adaptations and it really does come into its own and it becomes its own thing from episode five on, which I really appreciated because it took what was interesting about the original concept, the, the passion, the, the music, the, you know, just kind of general love. And it made it something a little bit more lively as opposed to drab which I think the other adaptations could have been. I very much disagree with you about the aesthetic. Granted, I have never, I never lived in New York. I never wore a beanie cap and uh, sported a big beard and is wearing uh, a jacket with about three buttons on it. No, it's a great cardigan that I got from my very gay old roommate, Jacob, who 
it was his from like the nineties and it's, it's like a little bit roughed up. It's a little scholarly, but it's also one of the nicest things I own. And it's so comfortable. It's frankly my most comfortable thing that I can both wear while lounging and out. I've never identified as 80 year old cat man chic. Which I cat, Catman Crothers? Catman Crothers. Uh <laughs> I I, I am I am sporting my be, my most forward dad grandpa energy. I, I the hat is what makes it hipster. The rest is all dad and grandpa. Mm-hmm. But maybe the podcast that, is hipster too. I don't know. Yeah. Ian does have uh, a fancy like arm mic too, whereas my mic is uh in a heavy cup. Because I didn't want it to tip over. Because I'm cooler than Ian. That's because that. I, I don't have a try back and I can't just sit in one position. And I gotta be able to bring the mic to me. Okay. I don't try as hard as Ian. That's what makes me cooler. That's all I'm trying to say. No, but I try really hard to look like I'm not trying hard. That's what makes me cooler, and, and also think, less cool. And I think the show tries hard to feel like it's not trying hard, which I think ultimately makes it an effective piece which of is kind of the design. point i i it's totally an effective get that. piece of production design it all like it's it's well lit it's not like super dark and you know in the gutters or anything but it does have like this tint of yellow so it also it all kind of looks like piss but not mm. like in a in a way that's like pissing on you the viewer right with your eyes and you know with your piss eyes with your pp eyes and uh, <laughs> am I tired? I cut that? Who I knows? Don't, know. <laughs> don't cut it. Leave my PPIs alone. So it the does. The tape exists. <laughs> so no, it just it does. I think it has a. It has. It it you can you can feel it on your clothes. You could you know smell it in the streets. You could smell the garbage, and I think that's effective production design. So I don't think that it's terribly forced aesthetic. I think it feels very natural. I, I just felt very aware of it, and I never felt like I really got... It did not blend for me. I think I should be... It should be a self-subconscious thing, not an active choice. Eh, that's not true. There's, there's, I mean, that's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I see your point. It just, I don't know. It just, it just bothered me kind of at the beginning. I mean, what I like about the show is that, I mean, I know this is part of the subject matter as a whole, but we all know people like that, right? Like yeah. the music, the hardcore music nerds that are purists that hate you for not liking something that judge you for liking something else. And I mean, and to be honest, I'm kind of that way about movies and TV and I have tried very hard over the years to not be that way anymore, or at least like like if people start talking about friends, I'm not going to scoff anymore. I'm just going to let them enjoy friends, and I'm going to be like, yeah, I've seen the Thanksgiving episode with the sandwich and, and the bread pit. Yeah, yeah, that, those, are, those are funny. Yeah. You don't like, yuck anyone's yum. No, at least not when I know that people like genuinely care. About something like that. Like when, cause at a certain point you spend, you spend so much time with the artists you love, you know? I mean, yeah. I remember when I was watching Breaking Bad, uh, I was rewatching Breaking Bad before the last season came out 
and I was just watching so much Breaking Bad. It was like I dreamt Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul were just showing up in my dreams all the time, you know? Just chilling. Yeah, exactly. Literally the other night, me and Natalie both had dreams about Stanley Tucci in the same night. Separate dreams. And it's because I bought her Stanley Tucci's book, Cookbook? which is, it's yeah, it's like an autobiography uh, book that's about food. Through food? Yeah, yeah. It's his life uh, through food? Is that what it's called? I think it is. No, I, is it it's actually? Some, it's something like that. Uh, my life with food, maybe. Uh, I, I bought it, so I should know what it's called, but I don't. Um, I hear it's very good. Natalie loves it. And then I got into a conversation with my coworkers about the movie Babette's Feast because I went through a phase in my life where I called everything a veritable Babette's Feast because I thought it was funny. And then that made us start talking about the movie with Tony Shalhoub and Stanley Tucci, the the dinner or something, something kind of, it's, it's kind of simple like that where they make this gigantic Italian lasagna. That's, I don't know. It's gotta be eight feet or eight inches tall and uh, super wide. It's got like a billion layers to it. It's got hard boiled eggs. Speaking of a billion layers, this, this story, this Stanley Tucci story isn't, entertaining enough for you john do you want to talk about the show we're here to talk about is that what you want to talk about john is high fidelity there are times that i want to talk about the show there are also times where i want to strangle you and i think him and parker posey are in a really good movie in the mid 90s in new york together where parky posey and his and her family are following him around trying to catch him because they think he's cheating on uh, her and they just want to talk to him about it can't remember the name of the movie. Look it up. I'm so glad we got there. You spend a lot of time with these people, even though you don't know them. That is my point. And that is why people get very protective of the artists they love. That's why there's the episode where someone's trying to buy a Michael Jackson record and Charisse doesn't want to let let her. And then Simon comes in and he's like, Rob, we need a judgment on this. And they're going back and forth about should we sell this Michael Jackson record to her because of the obvious reasons? And also, and, and Rob is like, no, we won't sell it. And then she's like, ah, but, but Quincy's horns are so good on that one track. Like why should we punish Quincy because of Michael's actions? And you know, then it, it kind of devolves into a Kanye West thing for a second. And then, uh, you know, they end up um, settling that whole conversation with a rock, paper, scissors game. So I thought that was a, it was an interesting conversation with a cop out solution that I actually thought was very fair. But it also the cop out solution is also underpinned by the person buying the record, uh, throwing in like, was he even really guilty? And everyone's like, ooh, no. And right. that's that's where I think the show plays best is. In, yeah, I think I might have said it earlier, but subverting expectations while still feeling true to the world. Like it's it's not turning something on its head just to say something different. It's adding another layer to make it feel more lived in. And that's where I think it doesn't, that's generally where I don't feel like that point about it being a forced aesthetic feels true. I think it feels lived in. The 
the uh, costume design is right on. The uh, the music is isn't Questlove the main music? Wow, we consultant? haven't even gotten into that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Questlove is the executive music producer for High Fidelity. There's like over a hundred songs in a ten episode. And, and they're mostly big name songs. It's a, that you it's know. a veritable Babette's feast of really good music. Yes. I l- thank you, God. Thank you. That is how it's supposed to be used. I'm so excited that you said that. And going that forward, is- we need to be saying it more. And everyone <coughs> needs to be saying it more. It's a veritable Babette's feast. It should be a veritable Babette's feast of people saying that. I can just see Natalie's eyes rolling as you yell about Babette's feast. Oh, in the other and, room while we're in recording. In the other room while you're recording. Uh, yeah, Justin Link, uh, justinlink.com, he's a photographer. Uh, he uh, is rolling in his future grave hearing me say that because I was driving him nuts slash making him laugh very hard one day saying that about everything. Well, I it think was a veritable Babette's feast of me annoying Justin. Well, I think we've given the listeners a veritable Babette's feast of high fidelity. So maybe we should get into why it was canceled. Yeah, right after this commercial break, I think. And now a word from our sponsors. And welcome back. We are here to talk about the show High Fidelity, which of course was one and done, which of course means it was canceled which of course means there's a reason for it being canceled. So you'd think, John, why was it canceled? So High Fidelity got passed around a decent amount. I might have mentioned in the in the intro. It was a Disney property that got uh, shuffled over to Hulu in 2019. The show aired in February of 2020. Some things happened in the world in March of 2020. Everything's kind of vague. No one really we, remembers that point in time. It was, it was, you know, it's just another month. Um, but just another manic February. <laughs> just another manic. Uh, it wasn't that manic of a February. It was kind well, of a. It was it, kind of a confused February that turned into a manic March. There were and a then, lurkings, and then an apocalyptic radio. April, and then another manic May, and then and just then, a, oh my god, that <laughs> summer, that summer. So and in the fall, oh, oh, kill me. Continue. It was a tough, it was a tough time. And show all 10 episodes dropped on Valentine's Day of 2020. And generally, you know, we talked a little bit about the first half of the season having a bit of a slower start to the second half. Mm-hmm. My guess is that generally led to people dropping off the show. One of the big things with streaming shows is completion metrics. Mm -hmm. So a show doesn't need to have the biggest audience in order for it to be a hit. Uh, There's so much content out there that if you can get a dedicated group of people to watch a show all the way through once, twice, three times, just once. A lady. To start off. And you, you can justify an audience. I would guess that this show, especially given everything that happened, you know, a month later, didn't have a lot of people finishing it and which might've impacted Hulu's decision to cancel the show in August of 2020. 
That's which when is they like, sort of laid is, it down. It's bizarre because you'd think with everybody being inside, it would have had more of a chance. Yeah, but it was pre, you know, everything kind of exploding. I mean, it was pre Tiger King. I'll remember oh, Tiger that's King. That's true. That, that and, took over everything. And Hulu is also in this. Love is you know, Blind. I, and then the Jordan, uh, the Bulls documentary. Yes, The Last Dance. And the uh, Hulu was in this kind of period where it was post some of its launch shows and it's really sort of solidified itself more with, you know, FX on Hulu and it's leaned into miniseries a lot. And because high fidelity was sort of passed from Disney property to Disney property, I think that it had some champions, but I don't feel like it had a home that mm. really could support it in the long run. I think there was a lot of people that liked it internally but I just don't think it had that sort of big kind of crushing support. So shows canceled ultimately in August, 2020. Also there was probably a lot of decision-making happening at the time about what the future of streaming was going to look like mm. while people were stuck inside their homes too. And maybe they didn't see high fidelity as a part of that too. It might've been tough to, to consider filming a second season of the show in 2021 when the pandemic is still going on in New, in, York, in New York, in yeah, bars. That's, that's a tough consideration. That's a really good point, too. John. I did not think about that at all. I have a couple good points sometimes. And sometimes you have a, one, one hell of a dunzo as well. Sometimes I have a Babette's feast. A it's a veritable Babette's feast of good points today, John. Thank you. I don't know how long this is going to last, but I'm going to milk oh, it until oh, I'm, I'm sick of it. <laughs> you never <laughs> get sick of it. It's a veritable, it's a veritable bad feast, feast yeah. of not getting sick of it. <laughs> so show gets canceled in August 2020. Uh, generally sad. There's some musings like, oh, maybe it'll get picked up by another streaming service. We are now recording this in March of 2022. None of that conversation has, you know, been revitalized since August of 2020. Zoe Kravitz, executive producer, star of the show, goes on Instagram. Hey, I love this experience. This is great. Uh, another phenomenal actor, Tessa Thompson, comments on it. Oh, I'm going to miss you all so much. Zoe Kravitz then responds. Oh, yeah. Good thing that Hulu has uh, so many characters led by people of color. Oh, wait. So many and, shows led by people of color. So, yeah. So many shows led by people of color. Yes. Oh, wait. Which does definitely shine a light on, you know, Hulu's general. It's a, it's a, was and still kind of is a very white network, um, and that led to some conversations about representation at Hulu. But it didn't really impact the show's future, and it was still mm -hmm. canceled. Um, it did have a lot of supporters. It was generally well reviewed, um, not like overwhelmingly positive reviews. But Nick Hornby really liked it, the author of the original book. Uh, oh, I got okay. this quote from him uh, from a Rolling Stone article where he said um, when people asked him about, you know, the changes to it, you know, Rob's a woman now and changes to the other characters. Um, he said, quote, I don't think anyone who has read and loved the book and or seen and loved the movie could be disappointed with the series. I couldn't be more proud of the show. And if I catch anyone saying it's self-consciously woke, 
what with its gender reversals and its inclusion of more than one race sexuality, I will come round to your house and put you back to sleep. Because guess what? High fidelity isn't just about you. It's about people who aren't like you, too. Wow. I love Nick Hornby going to bat for a show that definitely uses his original source material as a launching point. But by the end of the show, I it gives a really good fertile ground for mm-hmm. a lot of jumping off points. There aren't too many cliffhangers at the end of season one, but there's enough material there to justify something. Yeah, going I forward. wonder what it really made me sad. What what season two would have been. I guess Sharice could have gotten more into music, but all the other storylines felt decently wrapped up. Not like completed, but like it it they, didn't feel like anything i wasn't left wanting to know anything really see i would have not knowing anything but just wanting to spend more time with these people i would have loved to see cameron and his wife being coming parents i would have Mm. loved to see mac trying to figure things out with lily i or lily kind of becoming her own character see i was kind of thinking mac would maybe just be gone after this he could be, but, you know, he's still in Cameron's life, so True. it would make sense for him to stick around. Um, you know, what is Rob going to do? Is she going to try to win Clyde back, or is she just going to move on to something else? I think there's enough there. There's enough of a springboard there, and they did enough of the groundwork in season one to let the characters go outside of the formula that the original movie and book developed mm-hmm. so obviously i have not read the book or seen the movie or listened to the soundtrack half the soundtrack many times like some of us but the soundtrack to the musical i meant uh that was i was talking about yeah, you we got that yeah. uh d- did we um w- did this feel like a proper 2020 update as opposed to 2001 or whatever or when it was written, 1995, like, did it feel like a very different, did you feel the 20, 25 years pass, or did it still feel very similar to you? It felt similar enough, and it felt like it authentically updated it and made it something new. And I really appreciated the reverence, clearly, that the creators had for the original source material, but also just the reverence that they had for the character, the new characters that they created. Mm -hmm. And that I, it was a great adaptation, which is hard to do. Like I said earlier, it leaned into some of the, you know, lines and tropes like the flashback breakup scene between Rob and cat that is shot for shot. The movie. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Where she's standing outside in the rain and you're like, can you, and like screaming, that's line for line, shot for shot, um, the movie. Mm. And so I was like, okay, that's a, that feels like a copy. And you, you know, it's interesting not having not seen any of it. I never got the sense that anything was from the movie. I wasn't like, oh, they're doing this. I could, I can tell they're just ripping this out of the out of a page of the book, like it never felt like that to me. It always felt like the show in the world. So that's a compliment. Yeah. It's a testament to making those pieces fit within this new world, but not 
cramming the piece in. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not do they're not square pegging in a round hole thing for this show. I gotta think the music budget for the show was astronomical. astronomical. Yeah, like that has to be that has to have played a part into it being canceled because it was so it it, it, it must have been so expensive. It must have been fifty percent of the budget. I swear. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts, Sean? Anything else you wanted to talk about, or do you feel no, nice I, and buttoned up on this? I feel pretty buttoned up about this. So I guess then the big question is, Ian, would you renew? I would. I would. I would renew. Okay. Uh, and I'm a little surprised by that because I wasn't a big fan of it at the beginning, or at least I was a little annoyed by it at the beginning, but there was enough there. It was funny enough. A lot of the dating stuff really resonated with me. The the tumultuous crying in the streets, screaming at each other. Like I, I really feel like New York dating is like that. Like <laughs> I was like that. The women I dated were like that. My friends were like that. I swear that's just, it comes with literally the territory. At first, it kind of felt like something I would have watched with my wife. And then it turned into something that I did enjoy on its own. And I like the characters enough. And and like you said, I don't know what season two would be about, but I don't necessarily care because I know that the show is like lauded as being like a great hangout show because half the time they're just hanging out. And as a writer, that is hard to do. It It's difficult to keep three people talking in one room interesting for an extended period of time. And even though I think that their music knowledge is a little bit basic when it comes to rock history, they do a good job of keeping me engaged and making me form my own opinions while they're talking. So I I, I, I would do it. I I think it's good. And I I love Zoe Kravitz. I mean, I liked her in Big Little Lies. I think that's really one of the only things I've seen her in other than this. Clearly somebody's never watched the Divergent series. (laughs) No, but uh, yeah, I would renew. And I guess that brings me to you, John. Would you renew? I would emphatically renew. Wow. I, I, so this is interesting because this is a show I gave up on when it aired. That was the second thing I was going to bring up about it being canceled. Was you and like two other people I know watched the first three episodes and then just stopped? Yeah. And we, I know that I am an influencer. So when they were like, well, John stopped watching. So let's, let's cut this. Did you have to put the opinion out to your millions of followers? I had to say meh to millions of followers and they knew I didn't specify high fidelity, but they knew. Wow. When I came back around to it for this show, having to watch all 10 episodes made this show so much better. And Mm. I was able to get over my hangups with the uh, comparisons to the original. And I was just able to be with these characters. And I said it earlier, I think, the self-destructive nature of Rob is a really tough character trait just in general with movies and TV for me. It is really hard for me to watch self-destructive characters because I generally don't understand why they're making the decisions that they are. 
Yeah, it's and all it's, in- it's if they're too mean to someone else, it's hard to empathize also. Absolutely. So the fact that this show is able to create a sympathetic self-destructive character is something that is to be praised in so many ways. Praised and like to- God or praised like a really good meatloaf? Praised like a really solid Boston market meatloaf. Yes. <laughs> we, all, we all love, that's just what we want at the end of the so day. Your nice dad warm... really got me into Boston market. I'd never had it before. Dude, the best. Comfort food. Hell yeah. So Good it was bread. really great cornbread. It was just amazing that I could dislike so many of the characters at times, but still generally want to be around them constantly. Mm. And that was just it's a credit to the writers. It's a credit to the vibe. Um, great music. Just wanted to keep being with it. And I'm sad that it's gone. I really am. And I'm bummed that I didn't stick with it earlier. But I hope people listen to this. Go back to Hulu. Give it a go. It's still there. That's the nice thing about Hulu. Um, go back and watch it. Any final things before we, we put this uh, bad boy to bed? Yeah, my my only final thought that I meant to bring up earlier is that one of my digs against the show, I guess, would be, or maybe it's against the characters, is that 30 just seems too old for all this drama. Oh my God, people, get it together. This is some mid-20s stuff. Too much. It's too much drama. It's, it's just too much, too much drama, drama for 30-year-old you know, souls. Grow, grow yeah. up a little bit. Like, don't yeah. take... It's not just about growing up. Get on your Razor scooters and listen to your Walkmen and get out of here. I I was thinking more like, what are the old uh, shoes that had the rollerblades inside of them? Wheelies. 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 Yeah, just wheel your way out of here on your wheelies. And uh, I don't know, just like, you know, when I say grow up, I don't mean it as a bad thing even. I mean, like, respect yourself enough to not put yourself through this over and over again. Yeah, it's a tough time. Well, I think that about does it. The The record has uh, stopped playing. Uh, we have played sides A, B, C, D, E, and F. This is uh, a long album. Long album, long episode. Where can people find us, Ian? They can find us at One and Done TV on Twitter and Instagram. They can email us at oneanddonepod at gmail.com. But unless you're making a suggestion, then I don't know. We don't we don't really want to read your emails or engage that much that way. So I'm gonna discourage it. Also, it's funny to discourage it, because who does that? Also, do not under any circumstances. Email oneanddonetv at gmail.com. That is not us. We don't know who has that, but someone had that before us. And we got the other handles before them so they can eat it. Uh, Also, remember to Venmo me at Hamilton. Venmo me a lot of money as opposed to a little money, but I would take a little money. That'd be fine. And that's about it, John. Did I miss anything? No, I think, uh, you know, just watch How To with John Wilson on HBO Max and uh, I'd also, enjoy yourself. I'd like to shock the listeners at the very end of this by saying, I've actually never seen Babette's Feast, but I do plan on seeing it at some point. Well, Ian, I hope you have a veritable Babette's Feast of Babette's Feasts.
sometime in the future. I hope uh, there's turkey. I hope there's uh, Boston Market meatloaf in it. Well, let's turn this TV off and wish our listeners a nice farewell. I'd rather wish them a fond farewell. Okay, bye. Farewell. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.